Hey, good evening. We made it back. Okay, I think we are in uh, 1 Corinthians. I believe we are in chapter 5, and I think we made it down to about verse 6. Does that sound right? Yes, no, maybe we all forgot. Pretty close. Okay. So I'll table this due. We've got our microphone runners here again tonight. Remember, it's okay to ask questions. If it's really, really dumb, we'll just embarrass you and call you out, but don't worry about that. And, uh, but let's start with a word of prayer and then we will just, uh, dig in tonight. Hey, dear Assembly Father, we come before you and we get that you didn't write scripture for us to pick through and put our own opinion or idea to. You had a message, you had a plan, you had something you were trying to say to us. Would you help us get to that? Would you help us to hear exactly what you were saying, how you were saying it, but more than that, God, that we would bring our lives into absolute obedience, that what what you have said and what you have told, we would do. Because at the end of the day, we just simply acknowledge this, you are smarter than us, and no matter how much complaint we may have or how much we would be tempted to argue, You know our best, even better than we do. So we come tonight to study your word so that it will change our lives and change our behavior. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Okay, or chapter 5, I'm sorry. And if you remember, uh, we had just gone through and we talked a little bit about this idea of judging. Because what was going on in the church is they had a man... And a woman living in the church had a man who had actually become involved romantically with his father's wife. And our best guess is is that she was a second wife or so. We don't think it was his mother. We think scripture would have probably said that if that was the case. But it doesn't change the fact that he's having an adulterous relationship with his father's wife. He's doing this in the church. And somehow he has convinced the church that it's justifiable. Somehow he's convinced them that, look, my dad is a jerk. He's a really, really bad person. If you knew all the circumstances, you'd understand too. You wouldn't blame us. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know scripture says that I shouldn't be doing this. But God probably didn't take this circumstance into account. And as a general rule, I would agree with God, but it's okay. And the problem is... The church is being swayed by this. The church is actually saying, you know what, I, I, I think it's right. I think you got a husband who's treating you that bad. And, you know, I mean, who cares then if what you did to get out of it was sin? It's probably understandable. And here they go. And the church is actually accepting. It's accommodating this couple being in sin, being in the church. And Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. You can't do it. You can't do that. I mean... Basically, he says, isn't there anybody in there that's discriminating enough that can, you ready, judge the situation? Remember, we said there's moments you and I are compelled to judge. Can't someone judge the situation and come to the conclusion? Because this is an easy conclusion, Paul says, that this is wrong. And something needs to be done about this. Remember the conversation? Okay, all right. Not even if you don't remember, just make me feel better. But... um, We tried then to have the discussion that said, okay, so when are you supposed to judge and when are you not supposed to judge? Did we, how, where where did we get with that? How, anyone remember kind of what those markers were? When am I responsible to judge and, 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 and when am I not supposed to judge? Anybody remembering? Okay. Your heart and your quality, heart or quality of service. Okay. I'm not to judge somebody's heart. 
See, I can't say to somebody, hey, the only reason you did that was because you wanted to be popular. See, I can't do, I can't say, I don't know a person's heart. And I have no right to judge their heart. I don't. And you and I never have that. Matter of fact, Scripture would say very clearly that's something that's reserved for God to judge. God knows their heart. Let God judge that. I'm also not able to judge their quality of service. What does that mean when I say you can't judge their quality of service? What am I referring to? Okay, so microphone. Someone says, if I had such resources, I would have done something bigger than that. Okay. That's judging quality of service. There you go. So quality of service is when I begin to say to someone else, if I had the money you had, if I had the time you had, if I had the opportunity, I would have done that better than you. And we never have the right to do that. We, we never have the right to judge God's servant and say, look, if I had that opportunity, if I had that resource, you and I are responsible only for whatever resource we do have or whatever opportunity we have. I have no right to judge anybody else's opportunity or resource. I don't. That's between them and God. So you say, boy, if I was a millionaire, I'd give, I, I'd give, I'd give like 100000 to God. Well, that's nice. But you have no right to condemn anybody else who either gives more or less than that. You don't. You don't. Okay? You cannot judge the quality of their service. Only God can do that. When am I supposed to judge? When am I supposed to go, whoa, 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 foul ball? Basically, you don't judge the person, but the sin, if they're, if they're causing sin that's not in line with God's word. Okay? I'm going to argue you can judge the person. Okay? You know, I know this whole thing of, hey, hate the sin, love the person. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm there, and, and I think you know you're part of a church that loves people. But guys, there's no problem looking someone in the eyes and saying, that's not how a Christian is supposed to behave. It's not. It's not. And I'm not necessarily throwing you away, but I am telling you that action is completely inappropriate. It's inappropriate. It's wrong. Okay? So we said it's okay to be a, what type of inspector? Fruit inspector. And guys, let me just tell you this. If it's worth inspecting your tomatoes at the store, then you better be able to have enough discernment to be able to look at another Christian who's living in direct violation of Scripture and saying, hey, look, Scripture says really, really clearly, you shouldn't be stealing. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I don't know and I can't. You're stealing. And that's wrong. You're gossiping. I mean, that's, go- that's wrong. Okay? That's wrong. And anytime somebody has actions which are outside the scope of Scripture, you and I always have the right. Okay? Now, where does that get cloudy? When, when do you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm not sure you should be able to say that is wrong. Because I'm not sure Scripture clearly says that. Where would that be? Any guesses? In other words, there's something Scripture says, all right, so let me ask, is adultery wrong? How many guesses do you need? Okay, it's just wrong. How often is adultery wrong? What percentage? 100%. Okay. Is going to an R-rated movie wrong? No. How many say yes? How many say no? 
How many say I'm not raising my hand because I'm going to get in trouble? All right. You realize we just disagreed on that. And there would be some in this room who would go to the ones who went to an R-rated movie and might be tempted to say, what did you just do? You you went to an R-rated movie and that's wrong. Chapter and verse. Which verse says going to an R-rated movie is wrong? So how did, how did we, some of you that don't think you should go to an R, how did you come to that conclusion? It's okay. How did you come to that conclusion that an R-rated movie is wrong? Let me ask, maybe there's a better one. Is PG-13 okay? What if, what if it got PG-13 by the skin of its teeth? Does that mean it's okay because the movie industry said it's okay? It's, uh, it's disagreeing with the word. Okay, then you realize if you watch Shrek, you're going to hell. Right? I mean, let's be honest. How many double stand, how many double nuances are there in Shrek? Right? I, I, I'll be honest with you. I went to Shrek and I sat there and I said, man, I am so glad I do not have kids in this room. Okay, I'm not saying that to you. I'm just saying that to me. I'm just saying, look, there was a, there was a heck of a lot of sexual innuendo in Shrek. Disney movie. Isn't it? Disney movie? Okay, so how did we get to the idea that maybe some movies are right or some movies are wrong? How did we get to that idea? Okay. I think it depends on the person's maturity in Christ. Okay, so if I'm more mature, I, go, I get to go to G-rated movies. And if I'm immature, I can go to R. I'm not going to grow up, dude. I'm just staying right here. Now, what do you mean by that? I think it's between that person and the Lord. Okay. Somebody that just came to Christ, it might be okay for them to go to an R-rated movie. Somebody who's been 30 years in Christ, it might not be. Say that again. Somebody who just came to Christ, it might be okay for them to go to an R-rated movie. Somebody who's been 30 years in Christ, it might not be. It depends on where they're at with the Lord, I believe. So what you're telling me is the closer I get to Jesus, then I can only go to G-rated movies. I'm saying it's between them and the Lord. Between them and the Lord. Okay. How did we get there? Give me a verse that would help you monitor movies. Give me a verse. I don't know the label of the verse, but it goes something like, uh, and you guys passed them out on those little cards that said, I will set my eye on no vile thing, and I will... Psalm 51. I will set before my eyes no evil thing, no wicked thing. I'll just tell you, I think you ought to stick that on your TV set. I think you ought to put it in your wall. I will set before my eyes no wicked thing. The deeds of... The deeds of wicked men will not entertain me. So, and again, then, and so you have to say, well, when does it cross over to wicked? I mean, if they're shooting people, is that wicked? If they cuss three times, is that wicked? If they say the S, you know, and you have to, and, and now you're getting to each Christian having to discern for themselves. And why do you think God did that? Why do you think God left some things open-ended like that that you and I have to figure out? Do I go to an R? Do I go to a PG-13? Why do you think God... Why do you need to say, don't go to anything past PG? Why didn't he just help us with that? Why do you think he left it open? Well, the, the movie ratings are based on worldly wisdom. The Passion of the Christ was R-rated. Yeah. Yeah. The pa- and, and, I, and I did go to the Passion of Christ. Okay, so... I also saw Private Ryan, but that's okay. So, okay. Those are the only two, I think, in a long time. But why did God leave it open? Why do you think? Um, as an learning experience, because as you try to decide if you're going to a movie, you have to seek him more and more to figure mm. out his will for you. See, and I think that's a dead on. 
I think there is an amazingly powerful thing that happens in your life and my life when we seek God and when we actually say, God, I, you know, I'm thinking about going to this movie and I just want to be sure that my spirit's okay with your spirit as I get ready to go in. Because that moment causes you and me to seek Him and seek His face. And I think there's also something honoring that if you get into a movie and you go, wow, this is not what I expected. You just go, you know what, I'm going to leave. I know I paid my ten bucks, I'm going to leave. I'm just, I'm not going to stay and hear this or see this. I just, and guys, don't be wrong. I'm not sitting here saying that there can't be a cuss word in there. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying every skirt has to be five inches below the knee. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, I think you and I have to seek the Lord's face on this. You and I have to say, God, I, I want to do what honors you. And I believe God left some things gray so that you and I had to pursue him. Because God, you ready for this? Loves to be pursued. He loves to be chased. And so we left some things that you and I have to chase him over. So we call those areas, are you ready? Preferences. In other words, I may not decide to go to a movie that you decide to go to. I may decide something differently about alcohol than you decide about alcohol. We do that. We do that as we chase the Lord. And, and the Lord left some of those things open because he longs and loves to be chased. And here's what I can't do with preferences. I can't judge you according to my preferences. So if I decide I'm not going to any R-rated movies, but you go to one, I can't look at you and say, you're a lousy Christian because your preference doesn't match my preference because it's not clearly stated in Scripture where the line is. Does that make sense? We said it's okay to judge when it is in clear violation of Scripture, which means by its very definition, a preference is not a clear line in Scripture. And I cannot judge God's servants on something that he has not spelled out. Does that make sense? I cannot judge your movie going. Now, here's what I have every right to do, though. I have every right to challenge. Okay? So I have every right to say to my brother or say to my sister, Wow, really? Uh, you went to see Boogie Nights? Anybody know what that is? Okay. Sorry you had to admit it. So anyways, and at that moment, I can say, you know what? Man, I, I'm just going to tell you that's so far beyond what I felt I could do before the Lord. And I'm not sure, and you can say, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that a Christian should really sit through a movie like that. You have every right to ask the question. You just don't have the right to say, you are definitively wrong for doing it. Does that make sense? But you and I, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And part of our responsibility in Christ is to challenge each other. Not in throwing away style, not in, but to say, boy, you know what? I, I just think how much you raised your voice. And I get it. I get that there's nothing in the Bible that says, you know, eight decibels and above is sin. I know that. But the level your voice was at, man, I just, I, I, don't, I don't think it showed Christ. And you and I have every right to challenge each other in that way. And they have every right to say, no, no, no. That was a godly anger. I was turning over tables in the temple. Okay? All right. Godly anger, good for you. And we go on, okay? But I can't judge you for that because it's not clearly spelled out in Scripture. Does that make sense? Okay. Because at the end of the day, guys, and here's the way to get, there is actually appropriate judging... Matter of fact, the, this church, this messed up church is messed up because they haven't been judging. 
when people are living clearly outside the bounds of Scripture and doing anything about it. That's one of the reasons they're messed up because they're all going around going, grace, 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 mercy, mercy. No, no, no. You don't have grace and mercy when someone's in direct violation of Scripture. You call it what it is. You call it wrong. Make sense? All right. Okay, so we're back in. We caught up. We remembered where we were. Here we go. Verse 6. Hey, your boasting is not good. Okay? Remember, they were boasting, we're that grace-filled church, and you just come however you are, do whatever you want to do, and it's okay. Why was this a problem? Because here's the other thing we said out loud. Remember we said, hey, our church is filled with people who are at different places in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, we've got a bunch of even Christians who are not living well for Jesus Christ yet. They're in the room figuring this out. And you hear us say a hundred times, hey guys, look, look, you may not agree with this yet. We think if you keep exploring scripture, you'll come to the same conclusion we've come to, but it's okay if you don't agree today. Why is it okay for us to do that? And why is that the proper thing? And in this instance, Paul was saying, what in the world are you doing? Saying grace, 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 grace over this guy. What was the defining difference? Anybody remember? By allowing him to boast, they were allowing him to have influence over other people, whereas we don't allow people that are not making the correct decisions to lead. So there you go. The defining difference. Influence. This guy was actually causing other people to stumble over the same sin, to say that what was sinful wasn't sinful. So he was influencing the church. Okay, And the church was actually taking a stance that says, hey, God understands this. God gets this. You will never hear your church say, God understands sin, and this time it's okay. You will always hear your church say, hey, you realize God says you can't live that way. And we think you'll figure it out eventually. We think you'll come to that conclusion. But you get, Scripture is very clear, that's inappropriate. This church wasn't doing that. This church was actually saying, no, 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 no. Given the circumstances, given the moment, we'd all do the same. Okay? And it was changing the culture of the church, and they were living outside of Scripture. And that's why Paul says, no, 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 no. No, no, we've crossed the line when we do that. Okay? Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast. So, again, this is this idea of influence. You've allowed this small conversation, this one moment to say, hey, look, God understands that sin's okay. You realize if you keep going down that trail, you'll be justifying every sin in the book eventually because there'll be a circumstance that you go, well, God didn't think of this and it's okay. And a little yeast will... In fact, the whole batch. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, weird verse. Is it okay if I call the Bible weird? What does it mean? What does it mean here when it says Christ is our Passover lamb? What does that mean? Huh? He was sacrificed. 
Why does that have any reference to the Passover? The Passover, right? Okay. So the spirit of death passed over every door that was had the blood over it, so it covered their sin. Okay. In the same way, get this, in the same way. How many remember when the Passover happened? When did the Passover happen? Okay. Moses is getting ready to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he says, okay, tonight we're going to do something a little different. We're going to take a lamb. We're going to kill the lamb. You're going to take the lamb. You're going to put its blood on your doorpost. And the angel of God's going to come through Egypt. He's going to kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians. But if you have blood on your doorpost, he will not kill your son. Weird moment. Weird moment. And yet scripture says here, and Jesus is our Passover lamb. I think sometimes when we read Scripture, we read a phrase like that and we, we, we just keep going. We just blow by. So I want us to take just a moment tonight and unpack this just a little bit. I think, I think it'll be cool. Okay, if it's not, you can tell me afterwards and go, that was dumb. And we won't do it again. Okay. In history, as Israel is getting ready for Messiah... What do they have to do as they wait for Messiah so that their sins don't get judged? They have to make a sacrifice every single year. They have to go to the temple. And what do they have to sacrifice? A lamb. So every year, think about this, every year, every single Jewish household has to take a lamb take that lamb to the temple, that lamb has to be killed. They slice the lamb's throat, they burn the lamb on the altar, that lamb has to die so that they aren't guilty of their sin. But it's an interesting thing because what it does is God says, look, look, this doesn't really fix your sin. What you're doing is by faith, you're acknowledging that something needs to fix your sin. And if you'll do this yearly, I will, you ready? I will wink at your sin. I will close my eyes to your sin for a year. But then you've got to come back next year and you've got to sacrifice a a lamb. So here's what every Jewish boy and girl grew up knowing. There is a lamb coming. A lamb that God will bring that someday will do away with the sacrifice because that lamb will be the lamb of God. And there will be one sacrifice forever. The Lamb. Now we get to this phrase. The Passover Lamb. So grab your Bibles. Let's go back to the moment of Passover. It's going to be in the book of Exodus. Genesis, Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. And we'll see if this is cool for anybody except for me. Okay, so here's what I'm going to warn you about. You've got to put on your thinking caps. You've got to follow me for a moment. And in that moment when you get ready to fall asleep, pinch yourself, okay? Because the ending is really cool. Okay? All right, here we go. Exodus chapter 12. It is this Passover story. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron. Now, this is, this is on the eve of them getting ready to leave Egypt. And God is instituting the Passover. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year, till the whole community. So you realize God is changing their calendar based on the Passover. 
And this is going to be the first month. And what do you think first means? Most important. What we're about to do with this Passover, Jesus, or God is saying, this is huge. This is, this is the, going to be the first month. It's going to be the important thing in your calendar is this Passover. Okay? It will be the first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, on the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for his household. This is the day they pick the lamb on the 10th day. If, if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with one of their nearest neighbors, having taken into account the number of people who are there. You are to determine the amount of the lamb needed in accordance with eat, what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. Okay? When all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So what do you do with the lamb at evening? Huh? You kill it. You kill the lamb on the 14th. Okay? Then you are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the house where you eat the lambs. Now, here's the deal. I don't... don't, You can either take this or not. If I'm going to take the blood and put it on the doorpost of my house, I take my bowl of blood and I set it down, and now I take my rag and I put it on the top of my door and I put it on the sides of my door. What shape did I just make? Okay. So you can take that for whatever it's worth or what it's not worth. Then they are to take the blood, verse 7, they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the house where they will eat the lambs. The same night they are to eat the meat roasted with the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without, what's the word? What were we just talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Don't have any yeast, because yeast is always a symbol of sin in Scripture. Do not eat the raw meat, meat raw or or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And on the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Okay? On the 10th day, you take the lamb. On the 14th day, you kill the lamb. Okay? Go with me to the book of John. John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. As Jesus gets ready to start his ministry, someone goes before him, making the way ready, saying, hey, 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 guys, God is getting ready to do something really, really big, so get your hearts ready. Who was that person? Okay. John the Baptist simply comes before Jesus, and he simply says, guys, 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 wake up, get ready, because God is getting ready to do something really, 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 really big. So whatever sin you've got in your life, repent of that sin. Get ready because God is going to show up any minute. John the Baptist. And now John chapter 1 verse 29. John's in the middle of his ministry. And you ready? 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Now guys, whoa, 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 whoa. What had every little Jewish boy and every little Jewish girl grown up knowing about the sacrifices they were making, both on the Day of Atonement and at Passover? That that lamb only worked for a year. That one day God would send His lamb. The lamb. When Jesus starts His ministry and John the Baptist turns and looks at Jesus, how does He announce Him? Behold the Lamb. Which means, guys, every Jewish person standing there should have instantly known Messiah just walked up. Behold the Lamb. The Lamb you've waited for every year. The Lamb that actually works. The Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Behold. But we've all waited for the Lamb. Now go to John chapter 12. Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry. He's about to be crucified in a couple days. Okay? John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover. Okay? Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Okay, six days before what event? Passover. What did 1 Corinthians just call Jesus? The Passover lamb. Think it's any coincidence that Jesus is coming and is about to be crucified in the Passover season. Now go to verse 12. The next day, a great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and said upon him, as it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Didn't understand what? Something important is happening here. It's fulfillment of the Old Testament. Here, watch this. It's fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. We call this the triumphal entry. We call it Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, what are all the people saying about Jesus? Hosanna. He's our king. And on this day, they select him. They go, our vote's with you. You're the man. Anybody want to guess what day that is in the calendar? The 10th. So on the very day that they throw the palm branches at Jesus' feet and say, You're the one! You're the one! Guess what they went home and did that afternoon after picking Jesus? They picked their lambs for the Passover. Isn't that interesting? They picked Jesus and then they went home and picked their lambs. Now go with me to chapter 19. John chapter 19. Let's start in verse 28. John chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus is on the cross. He's dying right now. John chapter 19, verse 28. Here's what it says. Later, knowing that all was now completed so that Scripture would be fulfilled, 
What scripture? The scripture about his death. The scripture about the Passover lamb. So that all scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked it in a sponge and put it up to, on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, he said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up the spirit. And I write, get this. Now it was the day of preparation. And the next day was the special Sabbath. What special Sabbath? It's not an ordinary Sabbath. What's the special Sabbath? What week is this? Passover. The next day is Passover. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was the special Sabbath of pa- special Sabbath because the Jews did not want bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. And the reason they did that, guys, is that in order to breathe well and to keep... They, you would stand up on your legs to catch your breath and if you broke your legs, you'd suffocate. And so they said, break their legs, we'll get them dead and off the cross that much quicker. They did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. And the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who'd been crucified with Jesus. And then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And actually, we ought to probably read the next part. It says, and the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so, that you may also believe. So, okay. So Jesus is hanging on the cross on the day of preparation. What were they doing to prepare for the feast? What did they have to do to the lamb? Kill the lamb. Guess what Jesus, day Jesus, is hanging on the cross, dying for their sins. On the day they were killing their lambs. Now, guys, how do they miss it? How do they miss that Jesus is the Lamb of God? They literally pick him on the day they went home and picked their lambs for Passover. They kill him on the day they went home and killed their lambs for the Passover feast. And still they missed Messiah. Is that remarkable? And how close, how thoroughly did Jesus fulfill Scripture? That literally to the day, he fulfills it. And now, when 1 Corinthians says, and Jesus is our Passover lamb. He's the Passover lamb. Once and for all. It's not just a phrase. It's a testimony that God fulfilled his promises perfectly and spectacularly in front of everybody. And it's really, really cool. Okay. Now, here's the deal. Someone in this room is going to start counting days on me. And they're going to go, Lynn, I think you're off by one day. And if you do that and you think that, when Bible stays over tonight, if you come, I'll explain to you why I'm not off by one day. Okay? But it's a little bit harder to explain and nobody else wants to hear it. So if you stay afterwards, I'll explain to you why I'm not off one day. Okay, so back to 1 Corinthians. How are we doing on time, Mike? All right. Hey, we're cruising. We've gotten two verses done tonight. First Corinthians chapter five. 
you're boasting. This is verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven works through the whole batch of yeast? Get rid of the old yeast that ye may have a new batch without yeast as you, as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed once and for all. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Why is he calling on the festival of Passover in this moment of sin in the church? Isn't that an interesting comparison that he's making? As the Jewish homes got ready to do... To, we didn't talk about this yet, so someone's going to have to know this. As the Jews got ready to celebrate Passover, what was the, one of the requirements that they had to do with yeast? Anybody know? You had to throw out... Okay, go ahead. So You had to throw out every bit of yeast in your house. You had to get rid of them. Matter of fact, you had to sweep your house from top to bottom. You had to take rags with water, wipe everything down. You weren't allowed to leave a speck of yeast in the house. Why? Because yeast in the Bible is always a picture of sin. And the Passover lamb was about removing sin. Isn't it interesting here that what he calls on when he says to the church, guys, what do you do? You're letting sin in the house. And you and I are today following our Passover lamb. And so what does Paul say? And he says, so if you and I really are celebrating the new festival of the Passover lamb, if we really, really get this Savior thing, wouldn't we clean all the yeast out of our lives? Wouldn't we do what they did that was simply ceremonial? Wouldn't we do that seriously in our lives? Which, guys, I mean, that changes the whole tenor of how we live. Because what's a baby Christian's attitude towards sin? Anybody know? Every baby Christian typically asks the same question about sin. Anybody know what it is? I can sin all I want now. Sometimes, sometimes, and then God has to kill them. But yeah, sometimes Christians say that. How far is too far? See, here's what every baby Christian asks. How much can I still do? How close can I get to sin and not be sinning? And every, almost every, almost every, almost every baby Christian's focus is, how much can I do? How close to the line can I get? Anybody raise a kid like that? just want to slap them? I wonder what God wants to do to baby Christians with that. You know, how close can I get to sin and not be in trouble? You know what every mature Christian says? How close can I get to Christ? Totally different question. And those two questions will lead your life in totally different directions. You get that, right? See, you stop asking, hey, how much, how much gray can I do before it's black? Versus, how do I get closer to my Jesus? See, I, my measuring point in my life is not going to be, how close can I get to sin? My measuring point is going to be, how close can I get to my Lord? Which I've got a feeling, guys, guys, I've got a feeling that when you get really, really close to Jesus, sin's not even going to be in the background, right? Because you and I are going to be more in love with our Lord than we are with our old lifestyle. Two completely different questions. And so Paul in this moment says, guys, 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 guys. Remember the Passover feast? Remember part of that, just that ceremony? You cleaned all the yeast. I mean, you got it all out because it was Passover. 
And if you and I are Christians and we have experienced the Passover in our hearts, and you're still leaving yeast in your life, and you're rejoicing and it's in your church, and Paul just says, come on. That's got to be the wrong answer, doesn't it? And you get a little bit of a sense of why he's so frustrated with these Christians. How close can I get? How close can I get to sin? Instead of how close can I get to my Lord? Let's go back, verse 6. Your boasting's not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may have a new batch without yeast. As you really are, for Christ our Passover lamb has sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, and bread of sincerity and of truth. And suddenly all those verses make a ton of sense. And you get the heart of Paul as he talks to this church. Verse 9. I have written you my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of the world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. Okay? So you get what he says. He says, look, you and I are to be very, very careful not to hang out with people who are living in open and constant sin. And then he says, but I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about believers who are living in constant open sin because if I was talking about non-believers, you'd never be able to hang out with a non-believer because that's what non-believers do, right? But he says, you and I aren't supposed to be hanging out with believers who are living like non-believers. Verse 11, but now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother or a sister who is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler with such a man do not even eat. It's an interesting list. How come he didn't put angry? How come he didn't put jealous? On the list. Why do you think these made the list and some other sins didn't? Isn't that interesting? See, you can hang out with a bitter person. Are sins different? Isn't that a good question? Are sins different? How many people say all sins the same? How many people say sins are different? How many people say, I'm not raising my hand again because I got in trouble last time? Okay. Cheaters. He lists a couple sins. He doesn't list others. According to me, you say that the biggest uh, factor here is influence. And when you look at these sins, these sins have uh, this, uh, these sins can uh, can really influence somebody because if there is someone who has sexual uh, idolatry in the church, he or she can influence the people. A slanderer, they can influence a drunkard or a slanderer. So it's all a matter of influence. I don't know. That's my point. Okay, I think you're sort of close. On the deal. But here's what I'm going to say. I, couldn't a liar influence people? And lying's not on the list, is it? Huh? Well, he's a swindler. Probably lied to swindle, but he's a swindler. Not all, probably all swindlers are liars, but not all liars are swindlers. Okay, that makes, that'll make sense when you get home. All right. <laughs> Why these sins? How did these sins get on the list? And why are other sins maybe not on the list? 
One of my initial thoughts is that you can see these as opposed to like some other sins that you can't necessarily see. Okay, possibly it's because you can see these sins. Okay, and I think that may have something to do with it, although there's probably some sins that you can see that aren't on the list. And maybe this isn't an exclusive list. Maybe this is just a type of a list. Why else do you think? Why, how did these sins make the list of do not hang out with this type of Christian? So let, let's, let's get back because maybe we don't want to miss the point for the trees. He is saying, get the moment, he's saying, look, if you've got Christians, people who are saying, man, I am a Christ follower. And guys, I think that's different than being a baby Christian. I, you guys all get that. What, what do babies do really good? They poop and they spit up, right? And baby Christians are no different. Okay, so anytime you've got a baby Christian in the room, you just expect a lot of poop and a lot of spit up. Okay, it's a baby Christian. That's not that's not what's happening here. This isn't a new convert, a new believer, someone who's just trying to figure out how to walk in Jesus. This is someone who says, I'm a bona fide follower of Christ, but they're living this way. And he says, don't hang out with a person who declares themselves to be a bona fide follower of Christ and is hanging is doing these things. Why? You tell me times. Okay. Yep. Uh, is it because these things take a deliberate action to do mm. them? The other things may be like feelings that you have, but these mm. you actually have to take an action. You're going against the teachings. Get the moment. Every one of these sins, and I'm not saying it's an exclusive list, but think about this. Every sin on this list, I had to decide. I don't give a rip what God says about that. I think God is wrong and I'm smarter than him. I think God doesn't understand my circumstance. He doesn't get my moment. And I am going to decide that I am smarter than God. And I am going to do my sin. Or God is not doing enough for me, so I'm going to swindle you so I can take care of my needs. But every one of these sins is a deliberate, thoughtful action. I know I shouldn't, but here's why I am. You get the moment? Whereas... Anger. Anybody in here ever gotten angry? Okay. And let's be honest, most of the time, not every time, but most of the time when you get angry, you haven't thought about it a lot. It was just, ah! right? You know, and usually the thinking comes after the anger, not before the anger. These sins, these people said, I don't give a flying rip what Scripture says. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do it anyways. And God says, you find a brother or a sister who has that attitude about God and that attitude about Scripture. That's not the type of brother or sister you hang out with. Because that's a brother or sister who's living in rebellion. Willful, knowing rebellion. Does that make sense? Okay, all right. Silence is a scent. Okay. Where are we at on time? Okay, wow. We are making world records together tonight. All right, so let, let's let's tackle this for a second. Is all sin the same? How many say sin is the same? How many say sin is different? How many people have been taught all sin is the same? How many have never heard that before? Here's what I'm going to toss to you. I think over and over and over and over again in Scripture, Scripture says sin is different. Grab your Bibles. I wasn't planning to go here, but we got eight minutes. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 21. Here's what it says. 
Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, get ready for this, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. If there's different punishment, then it must have been different sin. Right? I can't punish you greater if you didn't commit a greater sin. Does that make sense? And you're going to find all through Scripture. What about this verse that says, Whoa, 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 to any of you that causes a little one to stumble. It'd be better that a millstone were wrapped around your neck and you were drowned than that you face judgment for that. Right? So apparently causing a child to stumble is a big deal. Causing a child to miss God is a big deal. So give him the microphone. Isn't this based more on the knowledge of the of that you know you are sinning, where these other cities may not realize that they were sinning? No, I think I think knowledge surely comes into play. It surely does. Matter of fact, Scripture says to him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, it is sin. But if I didn't know to do right, well, then it wouldn't be sin, right? So, yeah, surely a part of this has to be based on my knowledge. What did I know? And matter of fact, remember we just talked about this passage. What was the problem with those sins? And it said don't associate with them. Those believers knew they shouldn't be behaving that way. And they said, we don't care. We're going to do it anyways. And matter of fact, what did he say? Non-believers, don't treat them the same way. They don't know that adultery is wrong. Yeah, I don't get it yet, right? They're still trying to figure that out. So knowledge surely has to be a piece of this. It surely does. That's confirmed there too, isn't it? Because he was indicting the religious people, the the Jews, by pointing out the difference between um, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, because these were these were cities that were occupied by Jewish Absolutely. believers who could point so, to this. Yeah. So exactly, what he's saying is you have so much more information. You should have understood and repented so much quicker because you had the word of God and you had the prophets. And these other cities that didn't have all those advantages, if, if the same miracles had been done in them that we just did in you, they would have repented. And you had those miracles and you didn't. So there's a knowledge issue. I knew I should and I didn't. Guys, I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot of evidence in Scripture that the... That the Rulers of the temple had enough knowledge to know exactly who Jesus was. I mean, if you look at all the Old Testament prophecies, there is so much prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. How in the... Matter of fact, every time Jesus heals somebody, how many times in Scripture does he say, look, 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 don't tell anybody. Go to the rulers of the temple and show yourself there. Why? Why? Why not tell anybody? Why go to the rulers of the temple? Because they were the religious leaders of the day who were supposed to point the people to Messiah. He sends them to say, did a real miracle happen? And those temple rulers are supposed to say, yes, I mean, this guy was lame. He's running now. A real miracle happened. How did that happen? It had to be the power of God. So these guys had evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence that Jesus was who he said he was. And they still say, no. No. Did they say no because his teaching was false? Why did they say no? Huh? 
They were afraid to lose their power, and they had set up an economic system in the temple. Remember Jesus turning over the tables? Where what they had said was, ready for this? You can't bring your own lamb anymore. Your lambs aren't temple lambs. So we will raise the lamb for you, and then we will sell you our lamb at the temple price. And they were making tons of money. And if Jesus comes and he is the last lamb, then guess what happens to their marketing? There you go. So they can't afford him to be Messiah. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Greater knowledge, greater judgment. James says, Woe unto you that desire to be teachers, knowing that teachers, those who take that position of leadership, will be judged more strictly. Right? So there is. Now here's the downside of that and we'll wrap up. Just because I'm saying to you that sins are different and there are some sins that are worse than other sins, I'm just going to... Somebody... Come on, guys. We, you know in your hearts there's some sins that are pretty black, right? You could list them off. They're black. But here's what you need to know. It doesn't mean... And this is why a lot of Bible teachers kind of go the other way. And It doesn't mean there's such a thing as an acceptable sin... See, what everyone's afraid of is that you and I will hear this and we'll go, oh, well, then lying's not a big deal. Yes, it is. It's sin. Or that you and I will say, oh, no, no, if I cheat on my income tax, that's not a big deal. Yes, it is. It's sin. It's sin. And even though there are some sins are worse than other sins, you've got to get that any sin is yuck in the heart of God. How many of you guys have heard my water illustration? All right. How many have heard my biscuit illustration? Okay, fewer on that one. Okay, so we'll do that one. It's, it's gross, but it's okay. All right, then we'll finish. Here's how you got to get on sin. Here's what you got to understand. Any sin is yuck to God. So even though you just heard me say, hey, I think some sins are different than other sins, I'm not saying that any sin is acceptable. No, I mean, every bit of sin makes God sick at his stomach. So imagine this. Uh, you're doing a day on a road construction crew. And it just so happens on this day, there's a broken sewer line. You're having to dig it out. And then you're going to replace the broken pipe. And you get dug down in there and, and you just uncovered the pipe. And there it all is, down in the ditch. Broken sewer pipe. Do I need to describe that to anyone? Okay. And so you say, hey, before we get our hands really dirty, before we get right into that, let's have lunch first. And then we'll do it. And so you sit down on the edge of the ditch, feet dangling over to have your lunch. Broken sewer pipe. And just as you're taking your biscuits out of your lunchbox, they tumble in to the pool below. And your friend jumps down into the ditch to rescue the biscuits. And he throws them back up to the top. And after he does that, he notices you're not eating your biscuits. And he says to you, what's wrong with you? And you go, I'm not going to eat that biscuit. I mean, it was just down in the sewage. And he goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I get it, I get it. The biscuit I took, it's half covered. And I, you know, I kind of broke that off a little bit, but I'm eating my biscuit. But your biscuit, the one I gave to you, it was only a quarter covered. So you should be willing to eat your biscuit. What's your answer? No, 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 no. It's been in sewage. Right? Isn't that the right answer? Sin is sin. 
sin is sewage. And, and if you and I sit around as Christians arguing your sin is worse than my sin, and now you realize we're arguing sewage spots on biscuits now. You don't want any sewage spots on biscuits. So don't tell me how your white lie is not so bad, and don't tell me why cheating on your income taxes isn't a big deal because everybody does it. It's sewage on your biscuit. And as a child of God and a follower of Christ, it doesn't belong in your life. And I'm the first one to admit, hey, if you'd murdered somebody, maybe that's a half a bit. I get, I get it. But do we really want to sit around and argue sewage on biscuits? Or do you just want to admit that has no place in the life of a Christ follower? Lying and cheating and lust, there's not, there is not an acceptable level of sewage. And there's not an acceptable level of sin in my life. Does that make sense? Okay. They may be different, but none is acceptable. It all turns the heart of our God. No wonder in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, clean the yeast. Don't let it in your church. Don't associate with people who are living that way in a lifestyle. Clean the yeast in your houses. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word and thank you so much for scripture. God, thank you for a Passover lamb who literally fulfilled to the letter that, that everybody who was standing there should have known. I mean, they, they picked you the day they went to pick their lambs. They crucified you the day they went to kill their lambs. And somehow they missed it. Somehow they didn't get the story that was unfolding. God, we get it. You are the Lamb. And thank you so much for that. Thank you for what you've done for us. And we will not, we will not, we will not stop until we've told all of our friends and all of our neighbors, the Lamb has come. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks for studying tonight.